Let's pray. Father, uh, we're so grateful um, for the many mothers in our church community and the moms beyond our church community. Um, We just say thank you for the blessing that they have been in our lives. We pray, Lord, we know just from the conversations we have and the relationships we have that um, just the ups and downs even of, of, uh, and, and the energy put into being a mom. And uh, so we just, we pray for energy and strength uh, and wisdom and encouragement uh, when necessary, God. And we pray that um, we can be a community that supports one another and on days like this supports moms. And Lord, we recognize even the, the bittersweetness of a day like today um, for uh, some that, that grieve on days like this, um, that some that, that grieve maybe their moms who aren't here or um, not having a mom in their life or not being able to be uh, a mom. And Lord, we, we also grieve with, with those women here today, God, uh, that we would be a community that um, not only celebrates together, but grieves together and supports each other in prayer. So we lift up uh, all those as well, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. And as we jump into the scriptures right now, lead us, guide us, intersect with our lives, with our hearts, uh, in only a way that you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Let's, um, let's jump in. I, I'm going to start with actually a story about a mother, but not my own. And maybe some of you have heard this story. Her name is Anne McGuire. She's actually a mom, a grandmother, and a great-grandmother. Today she'd probably be uh, 89 years old. I'm not, I haven't followed the story long enough to know if she's still around. She was jailed in 1976 in England, involved in, of all things, bomb making. Now, before you jump to conclusions, she was part of what was known back then as the Maguire Seven. And uh, there was a bomb in a pub near, near London, and uh, they were arrested being colluding with the people who planted the bomb. They were arrested as the bomb makers. But years later, in 1989, they were released. And a few years after that, they were actually acquitted. Their convictions were fully overturned. So much so that even years after that, in 2005, Tony Blair, the prime minister at the time, uh, made a public apology to the family and specifically to Anne McGuire. And Annie spent uh, years in prison for a crime she didn't commit. She's part of the Catholic Church and uh, the Catholic Church in England, and uh, apparently the, the Pope had awarded her a medal for resilience and her ability to forgive. And one of the Catholic leaders of the time said this of her: that Anne McGuire and her family suffered wrongful imprisonment for many years. This is an experience that normally produces deep bitterness and drives families apart. But Anne and the gift, which is not given to everyone, of forgiveness. Anne was, like I told you, a mother of four, grandmother of seven, great-grandmother of four or five more. And her response to what took place to her was very interesting. It wasn't revenge or retaliation, and I'm sure she felt bitter at times, but her response was forgiveness. And I want to talk about the, the beauty and power of forgiveness today. Unlike what they said of her, because they said Anne had a gift, which is not given to everyone, this gift of forgiveness. I want to differ with that one piece, because I have a sense that all of us have the capacity or the opportunity to forgive. 
that we don't need a special gift for, to forgive, but that there's a capacity for forgiveness in us. Have you ever heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people? In a sense, those who are hurt tend to hurt other people. I want to kind of flip that completely around today and give you a new phrase. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people can forgive people. It's very, the other, the, the opposite's true. Often hurt people do hurt people. And when you meet people that have been generationally hurt, often they live a life where they knowingly or unknowingly end up hurting other people. But imagine, imagine if the reverse could take place in a lifetime and in generations and in people's hearts where we could say forgiven people can forgive people. Uh, you might be a guest with us today and you have no clue that we've been, for the last couple of months, walking through a, an ancient church document called the Apostles' Creed. You might even f- be familiar with what it is and what it says and maybe you've recited it in a church at some point. But we've been walking through it line by line and today we come to one of the key beliefs in the church that's rooted in 2,000 years of history and in the teachings of Jesus. And it's one of the most powerful, personal, needed beliefs in the church. And it's this phrase in the creed. The forgiveness of sins. This is the last section of the creed that starts off, and we've walked through it the last few weeks. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and I believe also in the forgiveness of sins. That's a bold, powerful, strong statement that the church, rooted in Jesus, believes that the forgiveness of sins is possible. Now it also would, the belief would also say that we would believe that there's a need for forgiveness, opportunity for forgiveness, necessity of forgiveness. That's a little bit difficult in our culture when there's been several people, and maybe you have felt this, that have kept deep hurts inside them for years. Maybe many who have struggled to forgive ourselves or yourself for something that you've either done or walked through or has even been done to you. Or maybe when we've heard others and those two words that are so difficult to say, I'm sorry, and you've found it very hard to say those words, maybe one of the hardest things to say. And that's why I think this line in the Apostles' Creed, this document that is so ancient, older than all of us, This one line is so powerful and so true and so needed in our culture. That line is a game changer for anyone who chooses to believe that it's true, to receive it, and then to offer it. That's why I think the way they described Anne McGuire should be adjusted because I don't think, I don't believe that it's only for certain people that have the gift to forgive. I think there's a capacity, an opportunity, possibility for all of us. See, I don't think our struggle is the desire for forgiveness, but the belief that somehow we're broken enough to need it and that we can grow into the kind of people that give it. I think that's where maybe we struggle the most. And if you talk to your friends around the office or your neighborhood or your family, uh, ask enough questions and probably uh, struggle with this belief that I'm broken enough to need forgiveness or sinful enough, or that I even have the capacity to give it. There's a, a, a scripture in, uh, in Luke chapter 7. It's, it's, it's one of the Gospels of Jesus telling the story of Jesus. And Luke, this historian, writes, writes, uh, gives us a, a glimpse of this story of Jesus that is so amazing. 
uh, one moment or slice or day of Jesus' life. I want to read it with you today as a backdrop to, to a few things I want to say. You can follow with me on the screen if you'd like or if you've got your Bibles. It's Luke chapter 7, verse 36. So here's how, the, here's how this day goes. When one of the Pharisees, who was a religious leader, invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, tell me. So Jesus continues, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correct, correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, so he turns to her but speaks to Simon and says, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I wish we had like an hour to kind of talk through this whole, I promise I won't be an hour, but I wish we had an hour to talk through this because there's so many beautiful pieces to this story. Luke, as a historical writer and a really gifted writer, has this knack of painting these pictures of Jesus' life and the different uh, pictures or scenes of Jesus' life, like what took place that day, often give us one glimpse, one angle, one side of the message of Jesus or what the scriptures call the gospel of Jesus, what is, what is really understood as the life of Jesus, God's love and offer for humanity, the kind of life that comes with God's kingdom. And Luke loves to paint these pictures throughout his gospel. Sometimes they're real, real accounts like this, and sometimes they're metaphors, and sometimes they're Jesus giving us a, a parable or a story, but they're a picture of who Jesus is in his message. And he wants us to see how meaningful and attractive and good Jesus really is. And here's this one picture. There's three characters in this day. There's Simon, who's the religious leader, or called the Pharisee. There's Jesus. We pretty much know who he is. He's the popular one. And then there's, um, then there's this unnamed woman, this woman who shows up at this house. So Simon, this religious leader, he seems to be different than some of the other religious leaders who were standoffish to Jesus, who openly, quickly critiqued Jesus, who maybe had something completely against Jesus. But Simon, he has some interest in Jesus, interested enough to say, hey, why don't I bring him to my house? Why don't we chat over dinner? 
Why don't I get to know this Jesus? Why don't I hear what he's about? Let's see for real. And unlike some religious leaders, he's giving Jesus a chance and he invites him over for dinner. But little does Simon know that that dinner is going to rattle his worldview. It's going to shake up his worldview, his religious worldview and his, and his cultural worldview. It's going gonna, it's gonna to shake that up. There's this scene at the table we, we get right away as Luke tells the story. As they're reclining, sitting down uh, for this meal or this time together, this woman shows up. And finds herself, or they discover she's at Jesus' feet, weeping, crying, cleaning, wiping, pouring perfume over Jesus' feet. There's so much in that we can say, but I won't say much about it now. We might think it's strange. Well, how did this woman get in the house? I mean, maybe like if you were having dinner with friends and some random person showed up, you might think, how did, how did this happen? I mean, you've got to think this is the first century, right? And so the doors often stayed open a little, a little uh, they stayed open for people. Often even eating areas needed to be cool for ventilation and things like that. So they were often in open areas. Villagers knew each other, extended family knew each other, people around, they off, as they were walking People maybe knew who was at somebody's house, and so they wanted to walk over, take a peek, maybe say hi. So the, the kind of openness is different than our, than our kind of society. I don't know if you ever saw this uh, comical bit by a, a comedian named Sebastian Maniscalco, and he talks about a time when, like, he goes, when I was a kid, we used to have, like, like cake ready in the fridge and, and tea, always ready for someone to ring the doorbell. And as soon as they'd come, like, we'd be ready to host them. But today, when someone rings the doorbell, we all hide and take weapons out and close the lights because we don't want anybody to come in, right? So, well, that's now. Uh, imagine first century Palestine. They were quite more open and less afraid than we are today. Uh, you can YouTube that clip if you'd like. It'll make you laugh. The woman knows Jesus is there. And in that time period, there was some kind of openness to her walking through and making an appearance. She wants to see Jesus. When you think about this, and I think about the story, there's, for me, it's all about awareness, the awareness that is going on. There's self-awareness in some. There's lack of self-awareness in others. There's God-awareness in some and lack of God-awareness in others. Think about the woman. She's an unnamed woman. That doesn't mean she's not important. That doesn't mean she's insignificant. She's just unnamed. And I wonder if Luke purposely didn't tell us her name, maybe so we could relate to her. Maybe a no name, a no face, that we can fit ourselves in the story and, and, and wonder, like, what if that was me? What if that was my face? What if that was, that was me walking into that house? And so her unnamedness maybe is helpful for us to be able to connect to this person or connect to that moment. The unnamed woman, she's fully aware of who she is. That's very rare, even in our society today, that people would be fully aware of who they are, their shortcomings, their successes or struggles, their gifts or talents or weaknesses, their, their self-image. It seems like this woman is aware of who she is. She's aware of her brokenness and sin. She's aware of... Of, of some of the failures in her life. She's aware of her need for forgiveness, but she's also aware of who Jesus is. Somehow, she figures, this Jesus, I need to go be, meet with him. And she catches something about Jesus that Simon misses. She sits humbly at Jesus' feet. She comes humbly before Christ without feeling rejected. 
and something special is going on. She's very self-aware of who she is, her brokenness and sin, and she's very God-aware that this person in the room is special, that this Jesus has something for me that no one else can give me. But Simon lacks self-awareness. Simon doesn't, is not fully aware of his shortcomings, it seems, or his brokenness or his sin. In fact, he critiques Jesus. He thinks he knows Jesus, so he's not really even that self-aware of what God is up to. But he critiques Jesus. He's like, if you were a prophet, you, know, you would know exactly who's at your feet. You'd know she's a, not a great person. You'd know that she's failed several times. You'd know that she has a rough past. You know that she has been known as a sinner. You would know a sinner sitting at your feet. He critiques Jesus. If you were, a, if you were really who you said you were, and probably in that moment, maybe he turns Jesus off. He tunes Jesus out. He's thinking, you know what? This was a waste of time, this dinner. If this Jesus guy would have been all that he's cracked up to be. And he, maybe he was just figuring, I'm going like, to check out. But Jesus knows exactly who this woman is and exactly what she's done and all of who she is and all about her. And despite knowing her, in spite knowing that, he doesn't condemn her, but he pours out grace and forgiveness on her and to her. In fact, he's more of a prophet than Simon actually realized. He's more in touch with what God is doing and what God is up to than Simon actually realized. See, he was representing God's good news for the world. He was representing God's grace and God's purposes and God's love and God's mission. In fact, right away, early on in the Gospels, it says that they gave this little baby that was born to Mary the name Jesus because he would, for, he would, he would forgive, heal their people from their sins. Simon missed what God's kingdom was about. And Jesus points out just how unaware he is of his own sinfulness and how unaware he is of what God is actually up to. Interesting, eh? Consider both Simon and the woman. Simon lacked awareness of his own brokenness, but this woman was self-aware of hers. Simon lacked awareness of his own sin. This woman recognized she was a sinner. Simon lacked awareness of what God was doing through Jesus and this woman was thrilled because of what God was doing through Jesus because she knew something important and beautiful was happening and she welcomed him. And here's the clue that Jesus gives us to how he knew she knew. And the clue was gratitude. The clue that that told Jesus that that this woman knew what was going on, was self-aware of herself and of what God was doing compared to Simon was this Maybe subtle peace that we don't often recognize, but the clue is gratitude. Because she was aware of her own sin and her own and, and, and Jesus' forgiveness. And Jesus recognized it in her gratitude. And he pointed out Simon's lack of gratitude, lack of awareness. You know, you we've we know what kind of the difference between gratitude and or, or lack of gratitude is or isn't. I remember this um, last Christmas, we were hanging out with our kids just um, before the holidays, and um, we had given them you know, some gifts, simple, modest gifts, but we, we, we knew that they had some time that they could, they could um, maybe hang out with their cousins more in Toronto. So we just handed them an envelope at the end of the evening. We said, here, guys, this is for you. And in that envelope, uh, they opened it up, and there was two, two Via Rail tickets. 
I swear, like I thought I gave them like a Lamborghini. It was crazy. They were like, oh my goodness, we're going to stay an extra few days. We're going to come back by train. And they were like freaking out. I thought, wow, I should, this is really great. I love you guys. Really simple, you know, but they were so grateful. Like imagine I, I handed this and they're like, meh. Or like, ah, I guess that's nice to hang out with my cousins a little bit more. Or maybe we should have taken it as an insult, Franca, because they're like, hey, we're not going to, you know, we don't, mom and dad won't be around for three, four days, you know? But there was, there was a gratitude in that moment that I, you know, and it was just, it was a beautiful thing to witness. It was simple. It was a via rail ticket from Toronto to Montreal. But, you know, the experience, the moment, the connection to family and all that stuff. And I was like, Oh, that was really cool. We can catch gratitude when we see it, and we know when we don't see it. And this woman had gratitude. And in that moment, Jesus recognizes that she has caught God's forgiveness for her, that she welcomed something in her life that Simon didn't even recognize yet. See, and he, remember, don't, you got to get this. He does not forgive her because of her gratitude, he does not forgive her because of her love. He does not um, say you're forgiven for anything she did. In fact, it says her many sins have been forgiven, Jesus says. Her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. That's what Jesus says. He says her, her many sins have been forgiven. This woman has experienced forgiven, forgiveness as her great love has shown. Or demonstrated. In other words, her response showed what she already embraced and received from Jesus. She didn't have to love or show gratitude for forgiveness. She was demonstrating what God was already doing in her heart. And Jesus, the clue was, I recognize she's experienced something here. And then he makes this proclamation. You are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And this rattles the room because they say, who can forgive sins? Jesus declares her forgiveness in that moment. She welcomes, embraces that. And he says, your faith has saved you. In other words, the fact that she had put her trust in Christ, that she had recognized her own brokenness and recognized what Christ would do in her own heart in that moment. Jesus says, your step, your belief, your faith in knowing that this was for you and you receiving it, this has saved you. This has saved you. But the the reality is for us, you know, this is something, in a way, Jesus is saying, this has already been done for you. You're, You're welcoming it. Jesus doesn't forgive because we love or respond to him. He's already forgiven and poured it out for us, but we need to receive it. There was this um, street preacher. I read the story of a street preacher who's you know, asking people really provocatively, are you saved? Have you ever seen kind of those signs and some people are like, oh man, is this guy crazy? Are you saved? And he's asking crowds of people who don't even, maybe are not even interested in the question. And so this, this Christian walks by and, and he's, you know, the, the guy asks him this question and he stops. And he says, have you been saved? And the the guy responds and says, yeah, I've been saved like 2,000 years ago. And this guy said, what are you talking about? Who can be saved 2,000 years ago? Are you immortal? Anyways, so he says, no, it already happened. Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, has poured out his blood for humanity. He's already saved me. He's already forgiven me. I just discovered it a few years ago. I just discovered it happened, and I've welcomed it in. 
But it happened. Jesus did it for me on the cross. And what a beautiful way to consider that Jesus has already poured out his life, his blood for us, has died and resurrected from the grave so we can find forgiveness and salvation and wholeness. But some of us have just discovered it recently. It's already done. We don't have to do anything for it. It's done. We need to receive it. And that's why this, the, the creed is so beautiful where it just describes this proclamation. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And when we catch that, we can, we, we can literally come, come into what I call a cycle of forgiveness, right? Forgiven people can forgive people. Forgiven people can forgive people. And the cycle starts with being a recipient, and the recipient, we, as recipients, we receive God's grace and God's love. Look what um, John tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. He, sa- he says this, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In other words, if we come to him, forgiveness is already available for us. I love this because here's John. He's already been with Jesus as a young adult, and he's the, one of the oldest uh, oldest disciples. Many of them have died along the way, but here's this probably 70, 80-year-old John who hung out with Jesus in the early days, and what he's telling the church at the time, he's, he's affirming what the creed says. I believe in the forgiveness of sins, and he says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you take the posture like the woman in Luke 7 and and come to Jesus, the forgiveness is already available for us. And the first step in the cycle of forgiveness is receiving, is welcoming what's already there for us. And T. Wright says, we are all overdrawn on the moral bank and need to know again and again that God wipes out the debt and fills the account with his own freely given treasure, which is rooted in the cross. So we need to to get into this cycle of forgiveness. We need to become recipients of forgiveness. It's there for you. It's there for me. If we're aware of our need for it and aware of Jesus who gives it. But the cycle continues. And it's not just to be a recipient, but to be a distributor. To to have communal forgiveness. I love the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, one of the lines says, um, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So now we get into this cycle as we've been forgiven. May we become people who forgive others. We can't give forgiveness like God does, but we can be part of the forgiveness cycle, the kind of people who reflect this and, and, and forgive those who hurt us. It's communal, but it can't happen without the personal. We can't be distributors of forgiveness if we really haven't received God's forgiveness. But when we do, then we start becoming distributors. I love what one New Testament writer says, James. He says, therefore, check this out. It's so amazing. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. What an amazing outcome. Wholeness, healing. When, when someone confesses, when someone is transparent and open enough within a context of community and response of forgiveness comes, and I've seen this happen before my very own eyes where people living in our own church community have felt conviction and said, I need to share this with you. I have been on a detour. And they share that openly. And then, then something, this response of forgiveness and grace comes. And you know what happens? Healing comes. Hope comes. Transformation comes. 
So the church becomes a community of forgiveness where we experience it and we practice it. So we become distributors of forgiveness. So recipients and distributors. And here's the last thing. We become a sign to the world of forgiveness. The world can see how we've experienced forgiveness and how we distribute forgiveness and it points to the fact that forgiveness is available for them and for all of us. So we become, we show the world, you don't have to be like Simon. That, that in that moment of his life and in that moment of, this, of his life, he was not self-aware of his own brokenness and not aware of what God was doing. But we can, we can begin to look at people like Jesus looked at the woman Simon looked at the woman and said, she's already far gone off. But Jesus says, no, I see something beautiful in her that's redeemed and hopeful. And this forgiveness is going gonna, is gonna to bring her to the, to, in this process of, of becoming who God has called her to be. If we start seeing people like Jesus sees people, then the cycle of forgiveness grows. N.T. Wright says, when we step back from our own personal anxieties and awareness of guilt, we recognize, so yeah, we need this for ourselves, but he says, then we recognize that the world as a whole needs, longs for, and aches, and yearns, and cries out for forgiveness. Cries out for forgiveness. Man, imagine that we can become a people who experience forgiveness because of Jesus, distribute it to one another in community, become a signpost to the world, we embody it and show it. Could we not admit as we close today that the world longs for forgiveness? Have you not met people that live under the weight of sometimes shame or pain or hurt or things that they cannot shake? That we don't live in a world even when we've been hurt by other people and whether it's personal or regional or systemic or global or religious or cultural, the world longs for forgiveness. And they don't know where to find it. And here, right in this story, Jesus is like, if you become aware of your own brokenness and aware of what God is doing, you will find forgiveness. And you can jump into this cycle and show the world. I'm going to close with a story. And many of you know that, the, that two Egyptian Coptic churches were bombed on Palm Sunday. Many people died and um, this one video of a woman whose husband was the guard at one of the churches, he was the first one to let this bomber through the, the metal detector. And he was the guard at the church. He let this bomber go through the first metal detector, and that person ignited themselves and killed all these people around them. And um, that person who died that day, that guard, his name was Nassim Fahim. And his wife was on national TV and interviewed by a very popular TV host from Egypt and, and, and just, uh, you know, the TV and things in Egypt. And, and, um, and as they're interviewing this woman, this TV host, his name is Amir Abid, asks the woman questions. And the woman responds and asks, like, how do you feel? How's, how are you doing? What's going on? And this woman says these words says, I'm not angry at the one who did this. I'm telling him, may God forgive you, and we also forgive you. Believe me, she says, with conviction, we forgive you. And this TV host, Amir, is silent for 12 whole seconds on TV. Now, it might seem like that's not a lot of time, but on TV, it's a lot of time. 
right? He's shocked. He's just like, he doesn't say a word for 12 seconds listening to her. And, say, and, then, he, and then finally, he kind of gets his composure and he says, how great is this forgiveness that you have? That's his only question. He's like, how great is this forgiveness that you have that you can find forgiveness for this? And he admitted that he could never do this and then he credits their faith and their convictions. Now that's a difficult situation, but you can apply the forgiven people can forgive people. We'd need like a whole series on the intricacies of that and the difficulty of when and where and how and how long and what's healthy and what's not. But at the core of it, here's the core. Here's the beautiful core that the creed affirms. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. To be recipients of it, to be distributors of it, to be a signpost for the world. I don't know. Do you want to be part of that cycle? I want to be part of that cycle. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Maybe you're here this morning as we, as we wrap up and you're, there is stuff even in your own heart, even in your own life, and you're saying, I long for that kind of forgiveness. I have been unaware for too long or I have suppressed for too long my own brokenness or my own sin or, or, or my own actions. And can I just encourage you, even right now in this moment, just like this woman postured herself towards Jesus, you can receive forgiveness You can welcome the forgiveness of Jesus. He's already done it for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. If you become aware of acknowledging, I need that, and then aware that he has this for you, you can embrace it as you trust him and trust what he's done on the cross. Let's, Let's pray. If that's you, even as we pray this morning, I encourage you with just a few simple words to acknowledge your own brokenness and sin, your own need, for God's forgiveness. Maybe for some of us who have been following Jesus for a while and there has been these difficult pieces of our lives. Even as people of faith, we have not allowed God to get into. Maybe God, even in this moment today, wants to give you freedom over that wants you to find forgiveness or give forgiveness. I want to pray with you or for you right now as we close. Father, we thank you for this short but powerful affirmation that we, your church, part of your church of history, believes in the forgiveness of sins. God, we know that sometimes it's difficult in a culture that wants to um, put brokenness or sin or any kind of negative perception of ourselves under the rug. And yet hundreds, thousands, even millions of people often live with obstacles in their lives because they have not allowed you in and have not recognized their own brokenness. Lord, but we long for freedom And we long to be people of freedom and we want to send a message of freedom to the world. That in your grace, you don't condemn us when we come to you, but you pour out your forgiveness and we find peace. God, for some here today, maybe for the first time, are making a decision to recognize their own brokenness and sin and calling out to you, Jesus, for your love and forgiveness. Lord, as they make this step, as they 
just briefly even share it with you in prayer, God. We trust you will respond to them. For maybe some, God, who have been holding on to things for far too long or have found them incapable to forgive others, God, may they discover or rediscover the beauty and power of your forgiveness for them. So as forgiven people, we can forgive people. And let us be a light to the world. And let the world know this is possible. This is available. Come discover it in Jesus. Lord, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.